Hello and welcome back to the Finite Podcast, where today I'm talking with Amrita Mathur, who is the VP of Marketing at Superside, a creative as a service design platform. Amrita has some strong perspectives on attribution, and we're going to be diving into whether or not attribution and the various complex models that B2B marketers can invest in are worth the time and how maybe to think a little bit differently about attribution. Before that, we'll hear a bit about Amrita's background, her experience, how Superside has been growing and how she's structured her marketing team, having joined as the first marketer and now running a team of about 40 marketers at Superside. I hope you enjoy. The Finite community is supported by Clarity, the fast-growing global marketing communications agency working with leading technology brands. We are living through an unprecedented era of change driven by advancements in technology, technology that has the power to be an impetus for good and that will drive us towards a healthier, more prosperous, sustainable and equitable future. Clarity exists to tell the stories of these companies, blending the science of data with the art of storytelling to enact measurable marketing and communications campaigns and deliver results to the bottom line. Visit clarity.global to find out more. Hello, Amrita. Thank you for joining the Finite Podcast. Thanks for having me, Alex. Very much looking forward to talking. We're going to be talking about something that can be, I guess, a controversial subject at times. We've touched on it from a few different angles, attribution, but I know you have some interesting perspectives on it, which I'm looking forward to diving into when we get there. First of all, as we always do, I'll let you tell us a little bit about your background and your experiences as a marketeer. Yeah, for sure. Background-wise, I'd say I've been in marketing pretty much my whole life. I've mostly worked in B2B tech, tend to work at growth stage startups. So usually companies that have found you know product market fit with at least one segment, and now they're like in growth mode and they want to exploit that and potentially in parallel discover other new segments. That's my usual shtick, but I would say... This current role is a bit unusual. I actually joined Superside as marketer number one before we had a product, before we had a proper offering, before we had really any paying customers at all. We hadn't even you know, designed our subscription model, our pricing strategy. We didn't even have the superside.com name. So I definitely joined very, very early. And it's been a crazy and very different ride, I would say, compared to what I've done before. Very cool. We'll talk a bit about the size and shape of your marketing team in a bit, but maybe tell us a bit about Superside and what you do. And and also we can dive into kind of the, the context of the marketing model, I guess, like are you product-led growth, is it more enterprisey, those kind of things? Yeah. So Superside is a company that provides design to fast-growing, ambitious companies. Uh, typically, we service marketing and creative teams. Those are the ones that have the greatest need. They have the greatest volume They and, and velocity is like an important factor for them, speed and whatnot. So we service those teams and we do this, it's, it's, it's a people-powered service, but we have a design ops tech that we've kind of made that powers all of this. So without the tech, this becomes not as efficient. And, and, and frankly, there, you know, we, we might fall into the same pitfalls that a lot of creative agencies fall into, but our utilization and efficiency is like close to 100%. So I, I like to say there's really no dollar wasted when, when we talk to customers, you know, we're reassuring them that everything that they're paying for is actually like creative work and not anything else or in any administration, et cetera. And, you know, we're, we're trying to create this sort of, I guess, category that we've 
coined a term for, which we call creative as a service. So like SaaS, we have CAS, creative as a service, which is really a subscription-based service. And for, you know, I think for, for a lot of our customers, at least, I can't speak about the market as, as a whole, but for our customers specifically, the subscription model makes total sense. And yeah, we're just trying to figure out who are those best fit customers where where that model makes a lot more sense than hiring internally or then working with a typical creative agency. Very cool. Well, we'll have to get you back on another time and talk about category definition because uh, that sounds like a, an exciting one. I know that's one that a lot of companies spend a lot of time and money investing in. So always an interesting one. Maybe you can tell us just a bit about like how the marketing kind of sales motion works. You said subscription, but is it like a a more enterprise sale process where people are signing annual contracts or quite accessible? Yeah, no, definitely. Exactly that. So we've we've definitely pivoted a lot. So I think when we first started out before we were superside.com, we were, you know, kind of like somewhat transactional. Anybody could come in the door and say, hey, I need help with this X design project. But it was like a finite thing. It was very much like there's a start and an end date. And it was about like that specific project. And that's what we experimented with early on. And then we realized through that, that there's a whole set of subset of customers and buyers that have like these ongoing needs, you know, like imagine you're a marketer and you need something as basic as design support for your blog, which is like a continuous thing. It's not a quote unquote project, right? So there was a lot of these use cases and scenarios that kept coming up and we were like, wait a second, there's a need to service that group. So that's what we've entirely pivoted to. And you already alluded to this. It's, it's, it's a bit of a, you know, our go-to-market is what I would call like a sales-led motion in the sense that there's really no product trial or freemium model that you could experiment with. You know, essentially people come in the door, if they're high intent, they raise their hand and say, hey, I want to know more. I want to have a conversation with sales or I want to book a demo or what have you, one of those offers. And then essentially marketing passes it to an AE, a rep on the sales team that runs the demo, walks them through it, does a bit of discovery, figures out what this person needs or what this company needs. And off we go. And of course, anything that doesn't close gets recycled back to marketing. So all this to say that it's a very classic B2B type of selling model. That being said, we're 100% inbound. So I think some B2B companies, when they say they're sales-led, you know, sales actually goes out and yeah. does their own, let's say, prospecting, right? For the lack of a better word. We don't do that. We're very efficiency-focused and we our market is large enough and we have a... I'd say like we have product market fit with enough segments that we really don't need to do that. And we also generally don't like to pitch like, like, like agencies do. That's also often a lot of, you know, as our founder would say, a waste of time. So we effectively don't do that. And we've adopted the full SaaS model of selling. So yeah, it's 100% inbound. Leads come in through the door. We, of course, like nurture them uh, over time. We also have a community similar to you. There's a whole bunch of stuff that happens. We effectively do a lot of content marketing. That's essentially our bread and butter. And eventually someone says, oh my God, I have this need or oh my God, we have a hiring freeze or whatever, whatever is happening in their company. And I, I know I need outside help. And they've already heard of us. They hopefully already know a little bit about us. And that usually turns into, hey, can we chat? And that's what we capitalize on. And we've, we've built a good enough machine that we have enough pipeline that if we just consistently close and our win rate stays the same, we, we actually don't need to do much else. So it's a pretty well-oiled machine overall. 
Very cool. And you joined as the first marketer, as you said, you're now VP of marketing. What does the rest of the marketing team and function look like? Yeah. So we, I'd say like our team grew quite a bit last year and we're now a, say, I don't even know exactly, like almost like 40 people on the marketing team. Big part of our team is actually a creative team. We've actually realized that good creative can unlock a lot of experiments. I mean, duh, like look at the company we work for, right? But I think in previous roles at past companies, that relationship between marketing and creative wasn't quite as tight. And here, like creative is part of marketing. They're in every meeting. They're aligned to the same OKRs as everybody else, et cetera, et cetera. So that tight relationship has been great. And we've invested a lot in creative as well. We have an entire five-person video team, for example. And we do a ton of like UGC style ads. We do a ton on YouTube. We're trying to crack TikTok. So that's a huge focus for us. And that can't be done without good creative. So that's been a huge investment for us. And then we've divided our teams into like sort of these like swim lanes that, you know, they everyone has a swim lane, but they all collaborate with each other. We've got a growth team, which is primarily performance, SEO, and influencer marketing and conversion optimization. And then we've got a demand gen team, which is primarily like thinking about campaigns. Like what are the overarching campaigns? What is the motion? What are the main messages? That kind of thing. And they own all lifecycle marketing as well. And then we've got a content marketing team that we've split roughly into two squads. One that's very focused on awareness and audience building. So like social community, top of funnel lead gen is all them. And then we've got another squad that's very focused on, hey, what is this conversion-oriented content that we can produce and put in front of buyers that are now in our wheelhouse? Like they're cookied. We know a little bit about them. What can I put in front of them that allows them to learn more about this problem area over time? So we've split content marketing into those two squads, which has worked really well. And then we've got a very small product marketing team that mainly focuses on, you know, all the, all the market research, customer research type stuff that powers everything else. So they run our win-loss program, trying to understand where we win, where we lose, why are we doing that? They run pricing strategy. They, you know, own messaging. They own obviously overall company positioning and the strategic narrative and stuff like that. Very cool. It's great to hear you've got the strong investment in the creative team as well. And, and you're really practicing what you preach, I guess, as you would expect from what you do. But actually having spent time in agency land, I've constantly been shocked at how little marketing agencies often actually invest in their own marketing full stop. So yeah, it's great that you're investing there. The Finite Community and Podcast are kindly supported by 93X, the digital marketing agency working exclusively with ambitious, fast growth B2B technology companies. Visit 93x.agency to find out how they partner with marketing teams in B2B technology companies to drive growth. All of that leads us nicely into talking about the subject of today, which is attribution. I know you have some interesting perspectives on attribution. We've talked about it a lot within the finite community, I guess, at different events, podcasts. You and I could probably record a five-hour episode on the different attribution models, first click, last click linear, multi-touch, all the different models. That in itself probably is part of the reason you have some of the views that you do, just because attribution can be such a, a complex and time-consuming subject for for marketing teams to, to work on and get right. And I think in hundreds now of episodes of the Finite podcast and working with hundreds more clients, agency side, I don't think I've ever met one senior marketer that said, we have the perfect attribution model or we've nailed it. I think everybody is striving for more and investing quite a lot of time and just always iterating rather than being kind of done finished that's my 
my attribution model in place. That's a bit of context from my side, but maybe you can set the scene and just tell us what's your, your top level philosophy when it comes to, to attribution. Well, I'll just caveat and say that this is obviously my B2B lens, right? I think B2C world can be very different. I think that the way B2C companies acquire customers, I mean, in many cases, B2C companies, they don't even go direct to the customer. They go through another third party or retailer or what have you, right? So that's a whole different ballgame. But assuming you go direct, you're just dealing with like a crazy amount of volume that perhaps you don't quite see in B2B. Of course, you could be a gigantic company like a Salesforce or HubSpot or whatever. And, you know, their attribution becomes very key because you directionally need to know what's working and what's not. I guess my point of view after having worked on this for a long, long time with the team is that there is no perfect model. And as your go-to-market evolves, the attribution model gets stale. So there's sort of this, it's sort of like you've, you know, the analogy I use is like you've built this like complex like tank and this piece of machinery, but the battlefield keeps changing to the point where like the shape of the tank is like, you can't really do anything with it because the battlefield is completely different. And there's like now aircrafts and soldiers and all sorts of stuff happening. So I think this is the reality is like people spend a lot of time building an attribution model and literally it's outdated in the next three months because your go-to-market probably changes based on market forces and other decisions the company makes. So if you are going to do it, it's almost like you have to make the decision that there's someone or a whole team thinking about maintaining it and changing it and having those conversations on a very, very regular basis. If that's not an investment that you're ready to make, the attribution model is really, I I think, not even really going to give you that directional data that you're looking for. So that's my two cents at the highest level. (laughs) It's not a great answer. And I hope that my boss doesn't hear this podcast, actually. Well, I guess you're, I mean, you're doing reporting, right? In some form or another. So I guess if if you're doing any reporting and you haven't thought about attribution, I guess you're doing last click attribution almost by default, you could say. But we're talking more about whether or not it's worth investing the time in multi-touch and which is normally the B2B challenge, right? As buyer journeys are lengthy, particularly in more sales-led enterprise journeys, cookies drop, you know, people can take months and years before they you know, go from first interaction to closed one. And we spend a lot of time and uh, you know, some companies spend a lot of money on really advanced attribution software that aims to connect the dots in ways that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do. But again, I don't think anyone's ever kind of really got to a point where they're like happy and finished. Well, the one rule of thumb I'll say is if a company is at a stage of maturity where you have an immense amount of direct traffic and that's where a lot of your conversions are happening, the attribution model is not going to be able to solve that. Like it's not going to be able to tell you what are the things that happened just because of the way Google's 30 day look back window and all of that stuff works. Like you don't actually know what, you know, maybe they heard me on this podcast, right? With you, Alex, and someone then comes to the Superside website but hey, maybe they don't convert. And then they come back 40 days later. Now you've kind of, you know, you've lost that window of time. And let's say they convert after 40 days. There's no way, there's absolutely no way that we would ever know that that direct traffic came from this podcast. And so if that chunk of traffic is a sizable chunk for you, let's say it's like a quarter or more, attributions, you basically don't, you're not going to have the full picture and you're not going to know where where these people first discovered you. There's just, it's not possible. 
On the usual reporting, though, I mean, there's a couple of things we can talk about. I'll just give you a high level view into like what happens with us, which is a very interesting phenomenon. And maybe other B2B companies are on the same boat. We have actually seen that anybody that comes to our website and converts on any kind of bottom of funnel offer, like some kind of landing page that essentially helps them book a demo with a sales rep, the highest intent possible. When somebody does that, that session length is only two minutes long. So you've come to the website knowing that you want to talk to somebody at the company and learn more about the product. The two minutes is a very, very short time. And we've tried to look at, hey, what are the other pages that they visit? What is their typical journey? And often there isn't anything crazy. It's like very simple. They come to supersite.com or some kind of landing page if they came through paid, and then they end up booking a demo and that's the end of it. So when your conversion is that simple and people aren't spending inordinate amounts of time on your website that you can tell in one session or more than one sessions, Mm -hmm. it actually suggests that you don't really need anything fancy. Like it's super clear what is going on, right? It's, it's like you've done a good enough job, whatever your marketing is, you've done a good enough job that you're able to tap into some level of curiosity and some level of repressed, you know, problems or pains or needs that are unmet. And, you know, the marketing is strong enough that you're able to get them to the, you get able to get to the horse to water and get the horse to drink that water pretty quickly. That's actually really like, it's it's a problem in the sense that you're just like perplexed about like, how the hell did they get there? But it's a good problem in the sense that you know, your marketing is working because you're able to communicate that very quickly, very effectively, and you're able to bring the horse to water. So if you're in the same boat as us in that sense, and you know, your conversions are happening rapidly and people aren't visiting pages and pages upon stuff before deciding to book a demo, if that is the big part of your visitor traffic and, and behavior that you're seeing, you don't really need an attribution model. You're not going to learn anything from that. But if you're finding that, hey, by the time a conversion happens or you know wh- whatever you count as a conversion, right? Maybe it's sign up, maybe it's free trial, maybe it's book a demo, whatever. You're seeing that people do jump around a lot and they need a lot more convincing before they get there. Then it's like, okay, now let's try to see which channels and which offers and which campaigns are yielding the best results. Then there's like a legitimate question to be asked. In our case, the answer is all of it's working because... Almost everybody, 95% of our audience does that session in two minutes and books the demos on, on their way. So I'll, I'll use the example of companies like Shopify. You know, They uh, service e-commerce uh, retailers or merchants, and they service a lot of different sizes of, of e-commerce vendors, right? So like you could be like a one-man shop or you could be like a Kylie Jenner type person that I believe is a customer of theirs. And... I think for companies like that, where you have this level of variety and you have this level of maturity where you're getting millions of visitors a day to your site and those conversions are complex and you have multiple parallel funnels, there you start to like need a lot more attribution and understanding. The- yeah. Why do you think B2B marketers do spend so much time striving for the different models? Do you think it's just because we talk about it a lot and it's kind of like 
normal and it's weird if you don't have a more fancy attribution model it's almost like no one's really questioned it and yeah. it's part of the it's just part of what you have to do i think with things where measurements involved in any form including analytics and reporting and there's often like a and i feel myself doing it sometimes you kind of get drawn into the the numbers because it's it's interesting like when you see data I've, i find i can spend hours just like going through a google analytics account that sounds kind of sad but I've, i have done it because it's interesting but actually when you then ask yourself like what are you what are you going to do with it like how do you act on the data a large part of it there isn't always an answer so i think that's sometimes a, a trap too is we kind of obsess over tracking stuff and wanting to know stuff but actually we're not really even if we had it perfectly we, you know what would what would we do with it but what what do you, do you think those are reasons is there anything else no, I think you're hitting the nail on the head. Like there's two things that happen. I think that we are sold to as marketers quite aggressively about being modern, right? Like companies, vendors, um, you know, attribution vendors will use words like that. You want to be in the know and they create all this fear and, and hey, I know we're marketers, but we fall victim to the same kinds of stuff. And I think it's in many cases, it's just like a bunch of people trying to sell a bunch of stuff and us falling for it. So I think that's number one. I think number two, everyone in B2B wants to be like a B2C. Like you have this like desire that I want to be like, I want our whatever, you know, small little B2B company to be like a Nike where everybody knows our brand and everybody comes to our site and you have this desire. It might be unrealistic, but you have this desire. And I think attribution modeling plays to that desire is to like, hey, I'm going to learn some magic, you know, I'm going to get this like, magical new golden nugget or piece of insight that's suddenly gonna like help me catapult to like the next level and i don't know that again the attribution model is what's gonna tell you that i think that there's ways to find that information there's a bunch of people i follow on twitter that have made an entire business about saying you need to talk to your customers and here's the way you ask them these questions and here are the behaviors that you observe and you'll get the golden nuggets from that, which I, you know, think like at least in B2B I subscribe to because it's a, it's a complex, usually it's a more complex sales cycle. And there's usually you're selling to multiple people inside a business and it's not a single, you know, single point sale. So yeah, talking to people, observing them, observing the kinds of words that they use and other past vendors and platforms that they might have used, all of that can round out the story a lot more. So yeah, so I think part of it's like hype and everyone having this desire to be like a B2C company, right? And then the third thing I would say is there's gaps in everyone's data set. And I think it's probably worthwhile running a very deep call it a project, right? Like an in initiative around solving the gaps in that data. I think that's worthwhile. But we can sometimes, in the scoping of that problem and that initiative, I think it can sometimes derail, get derailed by saying, oh, if only we had this infrastructure, then we wouldn't even have these problems, right? And, you, and, and it actually ends up, you're solving a different problem by saying, hey, I'm going to build this attribution model that's like complex and robust and all this stuff. Whereas really all you need to do is solve for like this like little gap, this delta that you're trying to understand. It's like, hey, I don't know how these people are coming to this part of the website or whatever it is. I think we just have to be cautious that we're keeping the scope limited to what you can action, like you said earlier, and you know, keep it limited to like the real problem at hand. Final question, because we're nearly out of time, but do you see a point in Superside's future where actually attribution, you know, a, a more formalized project around attribution and implementing a, 
a more complex model is needed. Yeah, so we we have done that. We worked with a bunch of really brilliant mathematicians to put pull this attribution model together. And I can show you like a quick slide about that. But it's funny because in the last couple of months, I'll give you this interesting analogy. Uh, not really an analogy, but it's just like I found it hilarious because one of the insights was oh, wow, 20% of our traffic and conversions are actually now coming from unbranded paid search. So, you know, some basically SEM and also coming from native advertising. And they were like, wow, this, this hasn't been the case before that. This is new. This is interesting. And well, it's like, well, we've invested in that only recently. So of course, that's going to be attributed. Like to me, it was like a non-insight because it's like, of course, we should see that show up. Thank God it's working, right? Like we know it's working because we see the leads coming every day. But to say like, wow, now 20% of it is coming from this new thing that was that was zero previously. It's like, yeah, we've invested in that in the last four months or five months. So like, of course, it's going to show up eventually. So I, that's just a, like a little quip and an anecdote about how your attribution needs to keep up with your, I guess, go-to-market strategy. Does that insight now help me do something different? Well, I guess it gives me confidence that I can keep investing in this and that it's working out, even if it's not immediately. But I would know that without having a complex attribution model. I would know that through some very basic reporting because we send everybody to landing pages and we track those conversions and we know mm-hmm. exactly where they're coming from. So yeah. did, did I really need to build this amazing infrastructure to know this answer? Probably not. Fair enough. Well. There's a lot of food for thought there. I think my favorite takeaway is uh, for us all as marketers to remember we are marketers and not to get sucked into the marketing and uh, sold stuff that we sometimes don't need, which I think is yeah an important one. But thanks for sharing everything. There's definitely a, a lot of food for thought for everybody who's listened. So thanks again for joining. Well, thanks, Alex. We're super busy at Finite building the best community possible for marketers working in the B2B tech and SaaS sector to connect, share, learn, and grow. Along with our podcast, we host online events, share curated content, and have an active Slack community with members from around the world, including cities like London, New York, Singapore, Tel Aviv, Stockholm, Melbourne, and many more. Head to finite.community and apply for a free membership to strengthen your marketing knowledge, build your network, and connect with ambitious B2B tech marketers across the globe.